Coming up on The Exam Room. I believe you because I've heard the stories now on this show for six seasons, but to hear that you struggled with IBS and used to weigh 50 pounds more than you do today, I mean, it's hard to look at you right now and see that. That's a heck of a transformation you've had. And that's just the beginning. Like it's yeah. it's more PCOS more. and diabetes and like yeah. I mean it's... I had a whole list, a whole CVS receipt of <laughs> diagnoses by the time I was not even twenty years old yet. And so yeah. um hearing that at such a young age was so devastating for me. And you know, I do remember I, I was so fortunate I was diagnosed with all these things by an amazing doctor. But he had a dietitian in his office and didn't even mention it to me. He gave me all these prescriptions. Um, thankfully, he was able to diagnose me with the right things. But he gave me three prescriptions and was like, here you go. And I was devastated. I was like, there actually are consequences for this really poor diet that I've maintained throughout you know, the last several years for having a sedentary lifestyle, for having a negative mindset, for not having a healthy community. I'm now seeing that, that I literally had this, you know, these are the receipts for it. And so I'm a product of that, of that devastation and knowing I didn't want to live that way. I wanted to find an alternate. I wanted to heal with each meal. And that's why we become so passionate about it. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Fernley, Nevada, McAllen, Texas, and Monaco, the second smallest country in the world. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 47 of season 6, number 443 overall. And today we are going to be taking your plant-based diet to the next level with an extraordinary husband and wife dietitian duo, James and Dahlia Marin. They are a couple who, after falling in love with each other, completely tumbled head over heels in love with gut health as well. And these two, they take an integrative approach to healing. And their passion for health stems from their own experiences. Dahlia, you heard her talk about that litany of conditions early in her life. She says all of her conditions were essentially a CVS receipt long list of illness. We're talking about a list that rolls out longer than a red carpet. But despite all of her health challenges, she was able to do what few are able to do and pull herself up out of the health doldrums and reverse her conditions and then go on to live a happy and healthy life that she dreamed of. And now together, they are dedicating their lives to helping others. And that is what we are going to do today as well. We are going to do what it is that we do best and raise our health IQs and get healthier. And we're getting healthier with a gut health crash course today. So here's what is in our syllabus. Anti-nutrients and digestions, prebiotics, probiotics, postbiotics, and some of the least talked about causes of GI disorders. And then also taking a fully plant-based approach to SIBO and IBS. So some incredible knowledge coming our way from 
to the best of my knowledge, the very first husband and wife dietitian duo to ever be on the show. Very excited about this, so let the learning commence with a couple who is truly married to health. It's Dahlia and James Marin on the exam room. Friends, so good to see you. I'm so pumped to have you here. Thank you. You're you're a professional, Chuck. That was a, a, a wonderful <laughs> intro. I love it. Thanks for having us. We're super excited to be here. Thank you. Well, it's like you guys. You know, I'm passionate about what it is that I do. Um, thank you so much for being here. You guys really are two of the most interesting people that I think that uh, have ever been on this show. One, because of your dynamic as a husband and wife, but two, your backgrounds are just incredible. James, you're an environmental nutritionist and integrative registered dietitian. Dahlia, you are a certified gastrointestinal nutritionist and a registered dietitian. I mean, you put those two things together along with the rest of your team, and you guys are really doing quite extraordinary things at Married to Health. Thank you so much. Yes. I mean, we we do, we take a lot of pride and passion in what we do. I mean, we've worked really hard to just look at root causes. And really, that's mm-hmm. what an integrative approach means. We're, we're definitely interested in current symptoms, but we want to go, why are those there? Where did those come from? Let's let's dive deep into our patient's stories and backgrounds and really get to know them and spend time with them and not just kind of treat our private practice like a mill of just one patient after the other as quickly as possible and only going, okay, you're bloated and gassy. Here's some foods for that or here's some supplements for that and, and buy. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's really taking time with our patients. So we, we love that. And, you know, I always say before we were professionals and dietitians ourselves, we were patients. You know, James and I were not always this picture of health that people assume. Oftentimes my patients tell me things like that. Like, you don't know how hard it is to lose weight. You don't know how hard it is to have IBS. I'm like, I had IBS and I used to weigh 50 pounds more. I do know. And we were our very first patients. And what we've created with our practice and so many things that we're doing came out of a desire to fulfill what we wish we had, a resource we wish we had to go to when we were first venturing into this, whether that be plant-based nutrition 12 years ago when we transitioned to being plant-based, whether that be someone to support us compassionately with the proper knowledge um, when we were dealing with our own health issues as parents. So it really does come just like you, Chuck. We see how passionate you are because you mm-hmm. get it. You're like, I wish I had a great podcast to listen to with this amazing infotainment where it's informational and entertaining. I believe you because I've heard the stories now on this show for six <laughs> seasons. But to hear that you struggled with IBS and used to weigh 50 pounds more than you do today. I mean, it's hard to look at you right now and see that. I mean, that's a heck of a transformation you've had. Yeah. And that's just the beginning. Like it's, yeah. it's more PCOS <laughs> and diabetes. And like, yeah. I mean, it, it's... I had a whole list, a whole CVS receipt of <laughs> diagnoses by the time I was not even 20 years old yet. And so, yeah. um, hearing that at such a young age was so devastating for me. And, you know, I do remember I, I was so fortunate. I was diagnosed with all these things by an amazing doctor, But he had a dietitian in his office and didn't even mention it to me. He gave me all these prescriptions. Um, Thankfully, he was able to diagnose me with the right things. But he gave me three prescriptions and was like, here you go. And, you know, if you ever want to get pregnant or if you ever think that you're you want to bring in a family, you're going to need more medicine. So come back in three months. Tell me how it's going with this medicine. If we need to have more medicine, we will. And I was devastated. I was like, oh, wow, there actually is. 
there actually are consequences for this really poor diet that I've maintained throughout the, you know, the last several years for having a sedentary lifestyle, for having a negative mindset, for not having a healthy community. I'm now seeing that, that I literally had this, you know, these are the receipts for it. And so, um, yeah, like I said, I'm a product of that, of that devastation and knowing I didn't want to live that way. I wanted to find an alternate. I wanted to heal with each meal. And that's why we've become so passionate about it. You're hysterical. A CVS receipt <laughs> list of things that was wrong with me. I mean, I love painting pictures with words and that paints an incredible, that's a Picasso right there. <laughs> um, my goodness gracious. Um, James, I want to switch back over to you. Um, yeah. I, I got to hit the, the rewind button on the DVR here for a second and go back to your credentials. <laughs> what exactly is an environmental nutritionist? What does that mean? <laughs> It's a great question. You know, it, it's really been a love of, of connecting dots. And with an environmental nutritionist, what we do is connect the dots to the, the research that's unknown by many health professionals, which is the research of the exposome. And the exposome is the medical or scientific term for environmental factors that affect your health. And when we fell in love with gut health, this was even before we fell in love with gut health, but really gut health is the nexus of all health. And it is this, this beacon and this medium, this connector, if you will, of our environment and our nutrition and our gut and our organ systems, our physiology, the list goes on and on. And so it's understanding and it's saying as dietitians or any health professionals can kind of take this on and realize your environment does matter. There's even been studies to show that who you cohabitate with will resemble your gut microbiome more than your own parents, right? So we're seeing this in real time. We're seeing this over generations where what's happening in our environment will affect our gut health and our health overall. So that's where that environmental nutritionist hat comes in and goes, these things matter. Like, like it's one thing to go, are you getting enough fiber and are you getting enough vegetables and fruits, but going, where were those vegetables and fruits grown? Where do you live? Where, what's outside of your home, right? Who's spraying what, what are you coming into contact with? And, and we can go on and on from there. And those things matter as you go and move forward on your health journey and really get a bigger and more in-depth integrative picture of your health. So yeah, that's environmental nutritionist in a nutshell. <laughs> that seems like that's a whole lot to factor in, man. It's not just going to the store and picking up with some fruits and vegetables. Like you said, is where did this come from? What's the environment behind it? That's that's a lot to take in. Um, yeah. And I feel like that, James, you and I, we're going to circle back. We're going to do an entire show on that because I don't think that the time that we have left is going to be enough to break all that down. That sounds like super complicated, something you had to spend a lot of time in some classrooms to figure out, right? I mean, yeah. And and yeah, yeah. yeah the whole the whole area of the exposome can be a, a, sh a show, a podcast in and of itself. So yeah, that's we'll table that for next time. <laughs> all right. But you know what? Uh, because you two, the power couple, are so well-rounded and so well-versed with so many different things when it comes to gut health, I want to bounce around and touch on a bunch of different stuff here today and just kind of do like a crash course on a number of things. And I want to start, um, Dahlia, maybe you can speak to this. We have not talked yet on the exam room a whole heck of a lot about anti-nutrients. We do get questions in the doctor's mailbag a lot about these, but we just haven't had the opportunity yet to to address them. So what in the world is an anti-nutrient to begin with? 
they're they're the most dangerous substances in the world, Chad. Don't you know? No, but an anti-nutrient <laughs> is is typically it's typically a substance found in food, and and what they find in in certain studies, and there can be a, a various forms of studies and methods of these studies. But what they find is they bind to other nutrients, right? Mm-hmm. So they have this affinity to other nutrients like iron or calcium, magnesium, carbohydrates, carb, even carbohydrates, and they bind to those things in the gut lumen. A lot of these studies are done on animals. Um, they can be they could be in in vitro, in vivo. And so various studies, and really there have been a, a subset of health professionals in the space, especially on social media, who have built a, a very robust business behind really putting out fear against these anti-nutrients and going like lectins, oxalates, phytates uh, are going to just wreak havoc on your gut. They're going to bind to all the your nutrients and leave you without any nutrients. And here, take these lectin binding pills that you need and go on a a very extreme diet of just only eating meat so you can avoid all these lectins and oxalates that are going to kill you. And so what we're saying is, well, what's the reality, right? And the reality is, well, these things, one, are are, a lot of them are denatured and done away with, with proper preparation of food. For example, like soaking your kidney beans or any of your legumes and then cooking them properly, you eliminate some studies show about 80 to 90% of these anti-nutrients. And, and then when it comes to your digestion, is your gut microbiome healthy? Because what we're finding are these anti-nutrients are actually prebiotic. They can actually be food for your microbes in your gut, and then they can elicit an antioxidant effect. So we're finding studies that show lectins, for example, are antioxidants. They're, they're proteins that are going to be eaten by your gut microbiome, and then they can create postbiotics that have an antioxidant effect. So they are things that we've evolved with as humans for thousands and thousands of years. They've been in our foods for thousands and thousands of years, and our gut microbiome has adapted with them for thousands and thousands of years. I think the issue we're seeing, it's a beautiful thing we're always saying embrace symptoms, right? Embrace your symptoms because they're telling us something. So if now in the year 2023, we're seeing an issue with anti-nutrients, it's really showing the issue with our gut microbiome, right? It's showing something we've been doing over the past 100 to 200 years has been offsetting the progress we've been making with our gut microbiome. And, you know, just to add and give a little bit of tangible context, those living in all five blue zones consume very high amounts of lectins. We do know that yeah. whole grains and beans and nuts and seeds, and, you know, fruits, vegetables that do contain these anti-nutrients as they've been demonized, unfortunately, I wish we had a different term for them. Those living in these blue zones throughout the entire world, they consume lectins on a regular basis. So why aren't we then saying, oh, these blue zone people have tons of autoimmune disease, they're obese, they have, you know, joint pain, they have rheumatological issues, they don't. Um, it's because there is not any solid data to show that these anti-nutrients are damaging to health at all. In fact, they have done studies on foods with some of these anti-nutrients. We can take lectins, for example, and they have shown that kidney beans, for example, kidney beans, when they're raw, will have 20,000 to 70,000 units of some of these anti-nutrients, right? Whether that's lectin or phytate. Uh, When you cook them, which 
who is eating raw kidney beans and not cooking kidney beans, uh, it goes down to 200 to 400 units. So that's something that your gut, a healthy gut can break down and take care of. That's not going to then bind any of the nutrients that you're consuming along with those those kidney beans or along with any of those um, foods that these things are coming in. So we want to put it into context. Like I said, They've even done studies where one really great randomized control crossover trial. So we know that's high quality of data. Um, They fed whole grains to one group and an inflammatory marker called C-reactive protein. It went down by 21% when they were eating whole grains. Then they did the crossover and they had the group that was not eating whole grains eat them. The group that had been eating the whole grains not eat them. And guess what? that inflammatory marker C-reactive protein went back up by 12%. So they lost 21% of their inflammatory marker. Then they regained 12 when they removed these anti-nutrients from their diet. So again, if they were associated with all of these symptoms that people are claiming, the joint pain, the fatigue, the autoimmune conditions, there would be data to show that, but there really is not. So whenever someone's sensationalizing something and they're using symptoms and anecdotes, it's not always someone that you want to really take advice from. You want to ask, show me the evidence, show me where you're getting this information from, show me the proof. I will say, though, I think there is some validity to people having these symptoms sometimes after consuming some of these foods, but I don't think it's because of the anti-nutrients. As someone who's specialized in gut health for the better part of the decade of my career, I have seen that people will attribute it to that and they want to say that, like, oh, it's the lectins, um, it's the phytates. But what I really am seeing is that they just have leaky gut and beans are starchy, grains are starchy. That means they're going to draw in water. They have high amounts of that soluble mop-like fiber in them. They are going to have that affinity to draw more water into a gut. And if you're drawing water into a basin that is leaky, you're going to now expand it. It's going to become more leaky. And now those food proteins are leaking out of the gut into the immune system, activating the immune system. And that itself can cause joint pain, fatigue, brain fog. So it's not the food. We don't want to demonize these foods because that's not happening to someone who doesn't have leaky gut. It's really that person who needs to work on their gut health and fortify their gut barrier and have the proper bacteria in their gut to help break down some of these things. Because we actually have things like oxalobacter breaking down oxalates. We have different bacteria who are going to break down some of those different carbohydrates and those different proteins. Um, So if we have the proper function, you know, carrying itself out in our gut, good balance, good structure, good flow, we're not going to have these different symptoms that people are now making up conditions for. Making up conditions. <laughs> um, not to be too blunt. No, no I can I love it though. I mean, just be a straight shooter. Um, so my question to you is this though. It's like, so I hear you guys, you talked about the beans on a number of occasions there, but I can just see somebody watching this or listening to this right now is like, well, shoot, how long do I cook these beans? So I make sure that I don't have a problem. So if you guys are cooking, say kidney beans at your house, like, do you cook them to death, like a couple hours minimum, or what's the standard there? We're big on dried beans for many reasons. One, they're more economical. Um, two, they have a longer shelf life. Three, it helps us avoid things like BPA and other endocrine disruptors in cans. Um, but if you're eating cans, still eat your beans. So we we do really prefer getting dried beans. And we will soak them overnight and 
we've really gotten into a groove where initially it was like, oh, shoot, I forgot to soak the beans. But now it's like, okay, what's our bean for the week? Kidney beans. Let's soak them overnight before we go to bed. In the morning, we'll pull out our instant pot, rinse off those beans that we had soaked overnight, and we'll quickly cook them. It's usually like less than 10 minutes in the instant pot on high pressure. They're warmed throughout the day because our nice little instant pot takes care of it. It switches the function over to keep warm. And then we have them for lunch. We'll have them for dinner. And they're much easier to digest because those are layers of tolerating fiber and then better breaking down some of those components of some of those harder to digest survival mechanisms that these beans will have. So when we're eating beans, that's really our routine in our house. It's soak, it's rinse, it's pressure cook. Now, James, we know that beans contain a lot of fiber, but the standard American diet does not contain much fiber at all. And I'm wondering, you were talking about how, you know, our microbiome had been adapting for so many generations. And then over the last 100 to 200 years, we've really started to get in there and kind of mess with it as our diets have changed. Do you think, though, in the last 70 years, like especially as we've seen this ultra surge of ultra processed processed food and fast food and high fat and low fiber that we're really starting to also see this acceleration of gastrointestinal issues? Yeah. One thing we like to really try to simplify this for our patients because it can be overwhelming. We, we just say, you know, do you like ecosystems, right? Do you like the environment? Most people say, yeah, I, I love the environment, whether it's my backyard garden or the rainforest, right? In South America, I, I think environments are important. And we say, well, think of your gut like an inner ecosystem, right? Think of it as actually the most important environment on this planet. What we've been seeing, which which it's even bigger than the hyper-processed food, is the way we've been growing our food, where we've been incentivizing farmers and growers to not grow the most nutrient-dense and microbial-dense foods. We've been incentivizing them to grow, one, the most profitable and it's profitable because it can be easily transported. Maybe it has higher sugar content or it lasts longer, right? So we've been incentivizing growers over definitely the last 100 years, probably more than that, to, to grow foods that are best for business, not best for human health and specifically the gut microbiome, right? So add to that then the hyper-processing, the pesticides, and the list goes on and on. And what we're seeing is a decrease in diversity of what we're eating. And I think one of the biggest indicators can be fiber. We're seeing about 97% of the American population not even meeting the recommended fiber intake. I mean, that's like insane, right? Like 97% of the U.S. population is not getting the minimum amount of fiber, which is already low, in our opinion, mm-hmm. um, we would want it to be even higher than that, but but they're not getting that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for a female to get in 25 grams of fiber per day, a male to get in around, you know, 33, 38 grams a day, it's really not unattainable if you're yeah. consciously adding in one to two pretty dense fibrous foods for meal, you're meeting that. And so we're seeing people really just aren't getting there. And so, and so again, to just reiterate or or to really just finalize this point where it's like, as we're seeing the diversity loss in our crops and in our food, we're seeing that same diversity loss mirror 
in our guts, right? So mm-hmm. as we're losing these species or, or percentage of population in the gut microbiome, and a lot of this research was really expanded on and, and brought to light by the Human Gut Microbiome Project, where we're analyzing basically stool samples of people, and then also comparing them to different tribes and populations around the world that are still a little bit more close to their soil and their gut health and and these wonderful healthy foods we're seeing massive changes in diversity right it's it's literally like showing an amazon rainforest and a clear-cut forest and going well what's the difference well the difference is a massive loss of diversity right and it's it's literally coming from what we're eating and what we're doing so and what we're not eating Mm -hmm. and and then to end on a positive with that point is that we can shape it right our tagline at married to health is heal with each meal because the research shows with every meal you eat you can start to change your gut microbiome right it's just like planting seeds in that clear-cut forest eventually they will grow just give them time and planting those seeds goes with what you're doing on a daily basis but one of the biggest things is what you're eating right you're you're eating these foods from the environment multiple times a day is that seeding your gut or reseeding the gut in terms of your diversity and the species that are living in there so and you know i think one thing i like to think about is we've managed both the gut and our environment in similar ways. It's all about Mm -hmm. chopping down, killing. I I kind of liken pesticides to antibiotics that people have overused and abused over the last several decades. Not to say there's never a time or a place to utilize them and use pest management. But again, we've tried to really micromanage these large areas of land. We've really tried to micromanage human populations and our health. So we never have to miss a day of work, which is pop an antibiotic. And now we're seeing the ramifications of that. Everyone, you know, growing up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, we were the generation of why would you even go to the doctor if you weren't going to get antibiotics? Just pop a pill for every ill and move on with your life. And now that we've had 20, 30, 40, 50 years of research on the microbiome, we're starting to step back and say, hold on, maybe we were a little bit too overzealous and a little bit too aggressive with that kill, 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 manage, 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 minimize, minimize method. We're seeing that also in the environment. We came out with all these, this abundance of pesticides and we were trying to just kill, 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 have only this one nice looking high yield crop. Now we're starting to see, oh shoot, (laughs) actually when we had a diversity of plants, they had a synergistic relationship. They were all feeding the soil in a different way. They were feeding different bugs who were pollinators and different, you know, animals and attracting, I know I've learned a lot from you, Um, (laughs) but you know, we're seeing that with plants. We're seeing that with our gut too. And that's why, you know, every day I have talked to people who tell me it was after that one strong course of antibiotics, you know, I was kind of barely chugging along. I didn't eat lots of fruits and vegetables growing up. I wasn't vaginally delivered, wasn't breastfed. I took tons of antibiotics when I was little. I had some stress, but it was just that tipping point came when I had a root canal and they gave me super strong antibiotics and I've had the worst gut issues since. So I think it's been there and it's been under the surface, both with people's guts and with the environment. I think that's a a good jumping off point for what I want to ask you guys about next is a lot of us know that with antibiotics in the short term, they can cause some uh, intestinal upset, so to speak. But would you say that long term that those two would be among maybe the least talked about causes of GI disorders? 
Yeah, I think in, in multiple ways too, where majority of the antibiotics are being used in, in livestock. So it, it, we're seeing that in people's foods, where I think a lot of people don't realize what's happening to their food. Um, so we're seeing a majority of the antibiotic production and use is going to people's food for those that are eating animal products. So, and then secondly, it then gets put into our environment because of the soil and waterways that then get polluted with antibiotics and manure, and, and manure right? Which we then use on other crops and foods. And so we're seeing these, literally there's studies to show the antibiotic residues will then disrupt the soil microbiome and then disrupt the plant microbiome, right? We have a rhizosphere, we have the stem and even the internal tissue of the plant that can be disrupted. So it's, it's insane. Then I would probably say tertiary or, or fourth quite crotonary is then we're using it directly. So even before we take antibiotics, we've been already affected by the antibiotic use. And I think, I think we're barely, I guess more it's, it's, being realized more and more, but I don't think to that degree. And um, yeah, we need to do something about it. And really what we can do about it is go ask our farmers market, right? Ask our farmers, ask, ask, you know, the companies that are really coming out and going, we're not using antibiotics or we're sourcing our ingredients properly. We're third-party testing even for a lot of these residues and, and starting there, right. And then building on it. So. And I think from just a human standpoint, it's, really knowing your options and advocating for yourself. I really do see physicians waking up to this and I see yeah. less and less antibiotics prescribed, but it is, it's at having that person advocate for themselves and saying, Hey, if you are going to have a dental procedure, talk to your dentist or, you know, your orthodontist about your risk. Do you actually really need that antibiotic? Mm -hmm. um, is it just more of a preventative method? What are your alternate options? Can you use some type of rinse that's going to help prevent an infection in your mouth? Um, you know, really, really understand what different options you have. And we're starting to see also, I think pediatricians are really waking up to this yeah. where they are a lot more conservative with doling out antibiotics to little kids. They're is really solid data to show the first thousand days of life is the most impactful time for so many things, your immune system, your brain development, but especially your gut microbiome. And so if we're giving little kids under two, so much exposure to antibiotics, whether that's, you know, mom took antibiotics for her delivery, mom was taking antibiotics while breastfeeding. And then this little kid, every time they had a sniffle or a bump or a bruise, they were given antibiotics, they're going to be at much greater risk for gut issues in their life than someone who didn't have that exposure to those things that were just wiping out some of their good gut bugs. Yes, we do need antibiotics. Sometimes you want to use them when you are desperately in need of them, um, use them really as a parachute. But I think a lot of people, especially like I was saying, our earlier generations and generations we grew up in, they were just handed out like candy. So um, I think we're really and learning. I have that. to connect the dots really quick too, because as we, as we're losing diversity, right. Of, of the connector crops are called or the perennial crops as we're losing that knowledge of, for example, making sure you have a rosemary in every backyard. There was a time in our nation, in the U S and this is true for even where my family comes from in, in Mexico, where every house had a garden, right? You had rosemary and basil and it was native and it was interacting with that environment. And the beauty of that is you would, 
And, you know, there was even some of my family members who, when you had a cut, you're going in the backyard and getting the aloe. And when you are feeling sick, you're going in the backyard and making an, an herbal tincture with rosemary and basil. And now science is catching up and going, oh, wow, those are actually great herbal antimicrobials, right? And like, oh, wow, there, there's something to that, right? So what's crazy is, is the gut and the, and the environment parallel each other so so well in that as we're losing diversity in our gardens and in our crops, we're losing that diversity in the gut, but they're one in the same problem. As we bring back the diversity in our gardens mm. and our farms, we're going to bring back the diversity in our gut and help really truly help each other heal. So, yeah. I like that. You know, it's kind of like look to the past to look to the future of health at the same time. Like it's, it's pretty cool the way that those two things can just marry together so well, just kind of like married to health. Um, so what are some of the other causes of GI disorders that kind of fly under the radar that you guys see a lot in your practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, one that's very interesting because uh, well, I'll, I'll let you Go for this, actually. Yeah. I'll let Dahlia so, talk first. <laughs> you know, we've talked a lot about the environment, which I think people really discount that with lots of these new chemicals that we were never exposed to in the past. Um, so you do really want to understand how some of these excess amounts of chemicals that we're being exposed to can affect us, whether that's pesticides or like I was saying, BPA, BPS, phthalates, other endocrine disruptors, which will eventually affect the gut as well. But something I see in practice day after day is trauma. Um, Mm. I really do feel like trauma is not spoken of enough. I think it's still to this day a little bit taboo. We've become a little bit more comfortable with speaking about stress and past trauma, but I don't think enough people are really appreciating how much trauma can really impact us. And we have actually seen in study after study that if it's especially in early life, so if somebody's having these early adverse life events, really under the age of five to seven, they are going to be at much higher risk for things like gut issues, which can then bleed into autoimmune issues, which can lead to other inflammatory issues, cancers. There's stronger and stronger and stronger data. There was a really great study that was done, and it showed that compared with controls who didn't have IBS, the patients in this study with IBS reported a higher prevalence of trauma. And that could include anything like physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. Um, And we did see there was a higher instance in females that did report this in this study. And we also saw emotional or verbal abuse was the one that was most commonly reported. So it might not be to that extent where somebody has undergone sexual trauma or sexual abuse, or maybe even was physically abused. It was, it could just be emotionally, verbally abused. And I, I don't even want to say just emotionally and verbally abused, but this does have long lasting implications. Something I always like to say to my patients is just like we can swallow foods that can change the balance in our gut and either create an environment that's a little bit more inflammatory or anti-inflammatory, we are swallowing stress into our gut as well. That can also shift and shape the plane of the gut. So when we are constantly exposed to unending 
stress. You're walking on eggshells around somebody, a parent or a caregiver or a loved one that you were constantly exposed to in those in those early life years. Maybe they were emotionally abusive, verbally abusive. Those studies showed that those people had an increased instance of having IBS by 100 to 300 percent. So it certainly can impact the gut so significantly I think people really discount it and they say, well, that's not part of my life anymore. It doesn't matter. That can't be affecting me. But if you really have never released that, and again, you were kind of just stuffing some of that stress down. Some people were stuffing it down under other unhealthy habits like overeating or masking it or running away using other things. It's still there right? These memories live in our nervous system. A lot of them become core memories and we are continually communicating that to our nervous system and either keeping our bodies unintentionally or sometimes unknowingly in this very stressed, traumatized state where we are more often tapping into that sympathetic state of our nervous system, um, where we're either in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Really, we're just trying to escape this. We're trying to ignore it by either ignoring, fleeing, um, fighting with someone, um, you know, freezing and kind of just shutting down or fawning over someone else. But underneath it all is still a lot of that trauma, a lot of that stress, a lot of those emotions. So when my patients do work like EMDR, they, they use modalities like EMDR therapy, or they do talk therapy, they use somatic therapies, bodily therapies, or other artistic outlets. They just get it out, they release the stress they can oftentimes see a humongous shift in their gut symptoms when they finally released it somewhere, whether that is spiritually or physically, emotionally, verbally, they see that their gut really, really starts to change. It tears down those walls of stress that they had built up and their nervous system then shifts back into that parasympathetic where they're finally able to rest and digest, feed and breed. Well, let me, let me ask you this. How do you even begin to like broach that kind of holistic approach with your patients? Because if they're anything like the majority of us, um, when a dietitian, a doctor, anybody other than a psychotherapist starts touching on those types of issues, you're like, what, what is this? I'm not coming to you for therapy. I'm coming to you for my gut, my gut's out of order. Like, how do you, you know, like really help somebody understand like, yeah, this is part of your course of treatment. And I think, well, I want to say, I mean, that, that's really the difference between an integrative mm-hmm. dietitian or health professional and and non, right? When you're going to a non-integrative health professional, they're like, oh, you're, you're, you have IBS or IB or Crohn's or ulcerative colitis here, do this food and, and take these supplements. And, and there you go. Oh, it's not working. Uh, I don't know. Let me let Trends me refer other you food, other medication, other things. Yeah, to other things. But really, this is where we start to ask questions. It, it, it's built into our intake, to our visits, to everything we do, and people kind of know us for that. So coming in, I think they're a little more prepared and open. But and that's really part of us having our own practice. You know, we used mm-hmm. to work in other practices where maybe we only had thirty minutes with somebody, and so yeah. it was just like, "Hey, what's going on? Boom, boom, boom. Try this, this, this. You need a solution. I don't have a lot of time with you. Let's just throw." things out, right? (laughs) Cast a wide net, see what catches. Um, But now with our own practice, we recognize these GI patients need some extra time TLC. So our initial visits range anywhere from 90 to 105 minutes. So we're Mm -hmm. spending quite a bit of time with people. And my first question I'm asking every single person who comes to see me is, tell me your health story. 
I want to hear about sequence of events that led up to these symptoms that you're coming here to me with. What were some diagnoses, injuries, illnesses? What did nutrition look like? Tell me about all the antibiotics or steroids you used. Tell me about stress or any trauma and how you feel that that shaped your gut. So I'm kind of just starting with that. So they hear that, okay, she does want to know about this, but then I'll more specifically dive into it. If somebody doesn't just kind of naturally open up and divulge, I'll ask that. Have there been any periods of stress in your life that you really felt impacted your gut or that your gut health changed after experiencing? And not everyone's comfortable speaking about it, but most people are. I I see, honestly, most people are relieved and they actually tell me no one's ever asked me about this and I didn't even know that they were connected. I ask, how is your relationship with food? How did others model their relationship with food to you? Were you encouraged to cope using food growing up? Is that something you've carried into your adulthood? And sometimes we do unearth that. Oh, you know what? I did mention to you when I, when I feel really bloated, it's because I ate too much. And I actually am finding that I'm overeating because I'm trying to escape something, or this is how I've learned to cope with different things. And we'll talk about it. How do you feel about that? Do you think that it's something you'd want some more advice about or to speak with someone who is a professional in that regard? And then I'll often then refer them to a psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, counselor. Um, We do have an amazing dietitian on our team who also is certified in neo-emotional release. So sometimes they'll end up working with Laura and they'll really try to use some of these different therapies and modalities to really get to the root. Um, Sometimes I actually will tell people, I don't think food is your problem. You're eating perfectly, if you will. You have some type of traumatic block or some type of physical, emotional, mental block that's going on. And I really think it's almost to the point where you're eating in a disordered way. You're restricting yourself so much. It's doing your gut more harm than good. I don't think you need me to give you another restricted diet or to give you these specific foods to eat. You've tried so many different things. But what you haven't worked on is that trauma that you just told me about. So maybe let's start there and see where that gets you. And I'm always happy when people are like, you know what? I actually, I don't need you. I need a therapist. I'm like, yes, do it. Go get that. (laughs) That's so counter to so many other health professionals out there. I love the honesty, man. And that just tells me that y'all's heart is in the right place for sure. Um, you guys are like super cool to hang out for this long. I got a couple of more things that I want to ask you about if you're down for it. Um, those two things are SIBO and for IBS. And, um, this is a really interesting thing that we do talk about here on the show quite a bit. And I would love to get your take on this. We had somebody recently right into the show. Uh, Dolly, a matter of fact, speaking to kind of what it was you were just talking about, somebody who is under an inordinate amount of stress, both personally and professionally, but is eating what many people would consider to be a really clean plant-based diet, like 95, 96% whole food plant-based based off of the, the list of foods that they had sent me. And yet they said, look, for the past two and a half, three months, I have been bloated around the clock. What in the world could possibly be going on? One of the things that kind of like came up, obviously, was SIBO. So I know that you guys are working on a fully plant-based approach to treating SIBO and IBS. You've got this amazing course coming up. So for somebody who comes to you like that, 
and like you get to the trauma, like just, I don't know, like let's, let's just explore SIBO and IBS a little bit more because I think this is something I think also because of the very nature of these two things, it's like, I think there's a lot of guys and a lot of women out there who might just like suck it up because they don't want to talk about it because it's, it can be so doggone embarrassing. And I know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 And and let me say, Dahlia, really Dahlia has been seeing and working one-on-one with SIBO and IBS patients for a very long time. And it got to the point where we've been getting such an influx where uh, actually early on, we're like, okay, we need to make a course on this. We beta tested it. It went really, really well. Now we're updating that and bringing it back. But we've had protocols in place and Dahlia and now our other dietitian, Rachel, who's been working and studying under Dahlia. We're, we're trying to clone Dahlia as best we can and other dietitians because we've seen such an influx in IBS and SIBO patients and, and really taking that more integrative approach with them and a fully plant-based approach for those who want to take that. Mm-hmm. Well, you take it from there, but yeah. You know, when somebody comes to me like that person, for example, I'm asking a couple different things. Like one, have we ruled out that you're just not constipated, right? Because I can't even tell you how many people are like, I must have cancer. I must have SIBO. I must have this and that. I must have parasites. I need to do a parasite cleanse. And I'm like, are you constipated, right? Are, are you so busy that you're not eating enough, not even eating enough fiber? Are you just not eating enough, um, let alone eating enough fiber to really induce that motility and, and induce the emptying and evacuation of the bowels? Are you so busy that you're not drinking enough water because you don't want to have to go to the bathroom all the time? Believe it or not, I have people tell me this, that they're like, well, I just have back-to-back meetings. I don't want to go to the bathroom all the time. So I really restrict my water intake and I don't want to pee all night. So I also restrict it at night. So sometimes we'll address things like that. Like, is it a low hanging fruit like that? Are you constipated? Um, if it's not, and they're like, no, I'm doing all the things I'm eating all the fiber. I'm drinking all the water. I've taken magnesium and I've added fiber powder and I'm doing those things, but I'm still really bloated. Then we really want to look at assessing the three major functions of the gut. So one is how is your gut flow? Are you having anything that is affecting your gut's motility? Um, We do know that the gut is this hollow organ. It's everything from mouth to anus. And all of these muscles and nerves that surround the gut need to work in synchronicity. So is that your stress? We do know 20% of our digestive juices are produced before somebody even puts food in their mouth. It's called the cephalic phase. It's when any of our senses are engaged with food. It's when we're seeing food, smelling food, hearing food, touching food, tasting food. That usually happens when you're having that slow food that you've prepared yourself or you've watched someone else prepare for you. Are you constantly eating fast food? Even if it's plant-based, whole food plant-based, but you're just running into whole foods and grabbing things all the time, you're possibly missing out on that cephalic phase where you're making your stomach acid, your bile, and other digestive enzymes that are going to help with that. There's a reason why we salivate when we see yummy food. We're starting to prepare enzymes in our saliva that are going to help break down mostly carbohydrates and a little bit of fat. Our stomach acids preparing to break down food as well and preparing the necessary enzymes. Our pancreas, our liver, our gallbladder, they're all really engaging in that preparation. So 
is that factoring into your motility that you don't have enough of those digestive juices and enzymes? Again, is it stress that's kind of shutting things down when you're constantly in that stress state? Um, do you, have you had any major traumatic brain injuries or any neurodegenerative disease? Have you had whiplash or have been in many car accidents that have really affected the nerves in your upper cervical spine? That could be affecting your what's called your vagus nerve. It's one of these long nerves a cranial nerve that really travels through your entire upper GI tract, your esophagus, stomach, and small intestine. Is that affecting your motility? If we cross that out and we're like, no, 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 none of that's going on. Um, how's the balance in your gut? Again, were you that kid who just took a ton of antibiotics? And what I do see in the plant-based population affecting people's gut balance is that people are not eating enough probiotic foods. So um, I think people cut out dairy and other foods that maybe have that lactic acid bacteria in them that are animal-based. And I think they see improvements with their health initially. And then when they're not really replacing and repleting that lactic acid bacteria, they don't understand often that that's some of the most abundant bacteria that lives in our colon that helps with gut motility. So um, I really encourage just like, you know, the Stanford study and the amazing meta-analysis came out in the last couple of years on probiotics. I say, hey, let's get you in those four to six servings of probiotic foods per day, whether that's per day, per day, yeah, Ideally. whether that's like an unsweetened kombucha or miso paste, or maybe it's tempeh that you didn't kill to death or broil to death. So the probiotics don't die. Maybe that's something like a dairy-free unsweetened yogurt or a dairy-free cheese that you know, is not highly processed. So we really try to replete that. Can we get in sauerkraut, kimchi? Um, and sometimes that does it. And they're like, oh, wow, I just didn't have enough good bacteria in my gut to really help with my motility and my balance. Um, did you have something that caused overgrowth or SIBO? Or it could have been outside of bacteria that can overgrow like hydrogen producing bacteria and hydrogen sulfide producing bacteria. Do you have fungal overgrowth in your small intestine? Did, were you exposed to a large amount of mold? Maybe you lived or worked in a really moldy building and you will breathe in those mold spores. They will go into your gut. Um, maybe you are that person who took tons of antibiotics and you're like, oh yeah, every time I took antibiotics, I had a yeast infection. Maybe you have fungal overgrowth in your gut. Maybe you have methanogenic overgrowth and that's really slowing down your motility because these gut bugs, even if they're good gut bugs, sometimes they're making gases that are just going to make you really bloated and more constipated. So is your balance off of who's living in your gut? So if that's a no as well, so their motility is fine, their balance is fine, then we'll go to the last thing. How's the structure? How's the house itself? How's the gut itself of where these gut bugs are living and where they're supposed to be moving through? Have you been taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like aspirin and Aleve for years and years and years for various headaches or your menstrual cycle or that back pain that you've been having for such a long time? And maybe that degraded the protective lining of mucus that you have in your gut. Um, have you been taking tons of steroids for other reasons? Is there something that has caused you to have that leakiness in your gut? Maybe it is bacterial overgrowth or microbial overgrowth. So we really try to assess how are these three major components of someone's gut function? Is there something we can optimize in there? And then will that result in them having less of this bloating, less of this discomfort? So sometimes it is just that process of elimination. 
That is a lot right there. That's that's a that's a whole lot of elimination process happening right there. I, I, let me just say, I mean, because that that is that's a lot. That's that's a lot, and that's where it's like get a guide, get help get with this because yes. you know we don't expect everyone to be experts. Maybe there are some watching. There are there are out there for sure, but a majority of citizens and Americans and, and around the world, you're not. So so get someone who really knows what they're doing. And we're not here saying to kill and to like, we have this overgrowth, let's kill it. We're, we're talking about balance. We're just like that regenerative farmer or permaculture farmer, not trying to kill something or like this weed that's overgrowing. We're going, what can we do synergistically to help this weed work for us and rebalance? A quick analogy we like to give is when there's, when there's an offset or an imbalance, for example, a flood, we see more rodents, we see more water loving creatures. That's not to say, oh my gosh, there's a flood, let's kill all the rats in this area. Rats serve a purpose, right? Hyenas and jackals and coyotes serve a purpose. We may not want them in abundance all around where we live, but they serve a purpose. So it's, it's more so saying, how do we rebalance the ecosystem, in this case, the gut, not necessarily kill, because even fungus like candida, I can't tell you how many of our patients are like, just so stressed out about candida, candida overgrowth, fungus, Parasites. <laughs> they don't realize that fungus is actually one of the first kind of microbes that come back and help to restructure and rebalance. The fungus is there for a purpose. And what's beautiful is we actually see this in the, in the soil. When farmers are in a degraded farm, let's say, or they're rebuilding the soil, it's first the fungus that comes back mm -hmm. and it's creating channels and it's aerating the soil first and foremost. We see that in the gut as well. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. All right. Well, now let's talk about the programs you guys are putting together uh, right now at Married to Health, which really delve into this. And we've been going here for close to 49 minutes. I feel like we've learned a lot. So I can only imagine how much is in your courses. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and look, and so, yes, we do have our 100% plant-based mm -hmm. CBIBS course coming out. Sign up for our newsletter. The the wait list will be there. Um, you can work with any of our dietitians one-on-one -on -one for, for more of this. Just really, really helpful and integrative care. And and yeah, it is it is a lot, but we do it at your pace mm -hmm. and we really give you the mindset of, of you're facing this head on. There's no more running, right? There's no more quick fixes. There's no more running. You're going to face this head on and really get to the root and really make this sustainable. And with the course we have coming up, there's not like a time limit. It's not like you only have 12 weeks and then it's gone or you have to get in by this date. It's at your pace. It's it's it can go. You can be in the course forever if you want. <laughs> But it's at your pace and with the proper care and techniques that we've really put together over several years and thousands of patients that we've seen. So, yeah. And, you know, we want to have resources for everyone from every different background and capacity of understanding and financial resource. So, yeah. you know, we have different layers. If somebody really wants to work one-on-one -on -one with one of our seven incredible, amazing plant-based dietitians, they have that opportunity. If somebody wants to take that course and again, go at their pace, we have that opportunity for them as well. Somebody just wants to read an ebook. We have ebooks on our website. We also have just free blogs, free recipes. We put out tons of content on our social media, whether that's our YouTube channel or our Instagram. Um, and then, you know, if somebody's like, well, I want to take something to kind of just optimize, maybe I am that person who is 
mostly 97% plant-based, but I'm still having a little bit of discomfort. I want to see if something can help me. Um, we created a little bit of a complement <laughs> to what people have going on. So we partnered with Complement, who caters yeah. to the plant-based community. They asked us to create a gut complement. We don't even call them supplements, but a complement to what people are already doing who are plant-based. And so I had in mind my patients who tell me, I'm bloated. I'm constipated. I have stinky gas that smells like rotten eggs or an outhouse. You know, I am struggling with reflux or nausea. So I really tried to pull from the best of the best of what research had to show and things I was recommending separately and say, okay, how can I distill all that in this nice little powder so that someone who either is having symptoms can use it and feel better or somebody who wants to prevent symptoms in any of those three major areas of the gut, the flow, the structure, or the balance. So we really tried to create resources for anyone coming our way so that everyone can feel that love, everyone can feel that support, and everyone can heal with each meal. Right on. And you exam roomies, you know the drill by now. The links to everything right now are in the show description or in the episode notes. We'll link you off to the TikTok, the Instagram, marriedtohealth.com. So you can sign up for the newsletter and get going with those courses as well. Get on the wait list. So uh, Dahlia, James, you guys are fantastic. I would love to have you back because I have a funny feeling you two both still have a lot that we could be talking about. <laughs> no, not at all. We can definitely not talk forever. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, you too? Of course not. Yeah. Uh, you guys are just the best. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks Thank for, you having for having us. us. Dahlia and James are truly married to health. Just like they're married to each other, they are married to their craft and they love talking gut health. They love helping people lead a healthier life. And I loved having them here on the show today. I feel like we learned a lot. And it is so clear that these two are truly nerds of nutrition and we should just embrace that and nerd out right there with them. I mean, Dahlia and James have found their passion, but maybe, maybe you are still trying to find yours. So here at the Physicians Committee, we are looking for a dedicated and driven plant-based all-star to join our team. So you really here for this position have to love ethical science because we are looking for a senior toxicologist to help oversee policy and outreach to reduce the animal testing that is currently required by law. We want to get the word out there that there are more humane, non-animal, human-relevant research methods out there. And so if this sounds like you, this is something you would be passionate about, head to pcrm.org slash careers or click the link in the episode notes to see a full list of all of our current open positions. So back to our topic today, gut health, our crash course. The National Institute of Health estimates that as many as 70 million people in the U.S. have at least one digestive disorder. Some years, as many as 20 million people can be hospitalized with one. And then get this, even way back 20 years ago, digestive diseases were already costing Americans a boatload of money. We're talking more than $140 billion in one year, 20 years ago. 
Imagine that cost today. Imagine that. And so here are some of the most common digestive diseases. Constipation qualifies. Gallstones, reflux disease, gastrointestinal infections, IBS, and ulcers. Talking about 70 million people affected by one of those and a litany of others. That's a lot of people living with a lot of discomfort. I'll tell you, those ulcers, man, they are nothing to play with. I had one once. Bleeding ulcer, honest to goodness, almost killed me. Spent more than a week in the hospital. Had to get a bunch of blood transfusions, too. It was it was insane. I was working two jobs, talking like crazy, crazy, crazy hours. One night, I'd do the overnight shift and then have to turn around right away the next day and do the morning shift. Man, my schedule was all over the place, working two jobs. I was going to school, and I had just gotten married. I had way too much on my plate. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life at that point, to be perfectly honest with you. And I was stressed out. I was stressed way out trying to figure everything out. And it cost me. It absolutely cost me. It caught up with me and it cost me. So it is a reminder to slow down, surround yourself with good people, breathe, eat well, get up, exercise, stay hydrated. Just take care of yourself because you deserve it. You absolutely deserve it. And these are all things that Dahlia and James incorporate into their practice. These lifestyle aspects. Truly, truly all good stuff. All good stuff. And now this from my wife, Julie. The Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine is recruiting participants for a no-cost, 12-week research study to evaluate the impact of a dietary intervention on pain, inflammation, and quality of life in individuals with endometriosis. Qualified study participants who are randomized to the diet intervention group will receive support via weekly online group sessions with physicians, dietitians, and cooking instructors. These participants will also receive study-related nutrition education, practical tips, and cooking demonstrations to help transition to a low-fat, plant-based diet. Participants who are randomized to the control group will be asked to maintain their usual diets for the initial 12 weeks. At the conclusion of the initial 12 weeks, they will be offered 12 weeks of instruction in the plant-based diet. All participants will receive one-on-one study-related consultations with a dietitian and lab tests to check specific study-related health measures. Recruitment is now open, and the assessments and intervention will start in late April 2023. If you or someone you know has been diagnosed with endometriosis, lives in, or is willing to travel to Washington, D.C., and is not currently following a low-fat, plant-based diet, please go to pcrm.org slash endometriosis to fill out an interest survey. Speaking of endometriosis, the episode with Chef Bay is out now. She is an incredible chef who is also an endo warrior. She actually healed her condition through food using her specific set of skills that she picked up at a little place called Le Cordon Bleu. And that really helped her and enabled her 
on her journey back to health. Just a really fun interview. She's got a lot of energy as well. So check out that episode when you get a moment. It's up on YouTube and on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, all of them is where you can find the Chef Bay episode. And I'll be doing her podcast very soon as well. Hers is called the Plant Remedy Podcast. So as soon as that is released, I will let you know. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to James and Dahlia Marin for being here. They are truly married to health, and they definitely helped us raise our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always... Keep it plant-based.